Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Online and anybody who might be watching, if you're still watching, if you watch this today, today, if you watch this later, if this is after the 25th of July, then this will not make sense. But today on the 25th of July, I'd like to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, right? This is it, right? This is Christmas in July is today, right? Amen? Amen. Who wants to break out into a Christmas song right now? Anybody? Go ahead. Stand up right where you are, Miss Nancy. Go ahead. Lead it. No? Okay. Just checking. Just checking. All right. If you were, if, if, if this was, if, if, you, oh, you're going to do it. There you go. Noel, there you go. If this was Saturday night and, uh, and, and it happened to be the 25th of July and it was a Saturday night and we were at Wissahickon and I were Pastor Charlie, you know, I would lead you in that song. But it's not. It's Sunday morning, and so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, that's my neighborly act to all of you. I will not lead the, the Christmas carol song. But hey, uh, Merry, Merry Christmas in July, or whatever that looks like it means. Uh, one, I have a good friend who's down in Florida, and uh, well, that's, that's funny to say because my family's down in Florida too. But um, I, I've got a good friend who leads a church down in Florida, and uh, for Christmas in July today... They were singing Christmas carols in a sanctuary decorated with holly leaves and all kind of things. And I was just thinking to myself, I've been, I've been in Florida on Christmas and, and it doesn't even look like that. So why Christmas in July, right? Like it's still 90 degrees down there right now. So um, anyway, it was, it was the thoughts that went through my mind. Um, we are in week four of the Neighborly series, and so if you haven't uh, been able to follow along, I just encourage you to go back and check them out online. Uh, Miss Lori is making sure to keep us up to date with keeping all of our sermons online, and so they're available for you on our church website or on our YouTube page, and I uh, really want to encourage you to, to do that. If you're at home and uh, you're, you're following along today, I want to let you know that next Sunday, next Sunday, We'll be moving off of our church online platform and moving to our YouTube page. And so if at any point you're traveling and you want to follow along on a service, you're going to need to go to our YouTube page to follow the services for now. And so if you used to go to roxboroughchurch.online.church, if you used to do that, you can't do that. After today, you can't do that anymore. Now you have to actually go to our YouTube page. There'll be a link for that on our, on our website as well. And so you can hit our website and that'll take you there as well. But just to give you a heads up on what that's going to look like. Let's pray again so we can get into week four, talking about the evidence that we find for being neighborly. Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in this space, Lord. God, I pray that your voice uh, would be prepared to to flow through this space, God, and fill each one of us, God. I pray that you would speak boldly and clearly to each of our hearts, God. Um, see us past the hurdles that are in front of us that, that sometimes mitigate the opportunities we have to really uh, to, to pursue after you or to, or to step into what you're leading us through. Uh, God, lead us in this time. I pray, Father God, that each one of us came ready this morning for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in the very, very familiar passage of uh, reading the Good Samaritan story. 
And this morning, and I do believe that once we get into September, this is probably a tradition we're going to begin to introduce to our church. We're going to go ahead and stand while we read the passage for the morning. So whether you have your Bibles or not, if you have your Bible, stand up with it. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at the screen still. That's fine. But just while we read the first passage of the morning, we're going to go ahead and stand to honor the Word of God. Here we go in the 25th verse of Luke chapter 10. This is what the Word of God says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too there was a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he asked, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, bless the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts now, and in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the last, last three weeks we've been talking about this series, Neighborly. And in, in week one, in week one, you may remember, we asked the question, what must I do? We, we parroted the same question that the, uh, that, the, that the young expert in the law was asking. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be right with God? And as we looked at that question, what must I do, maybe you found yourself thinking, how are neighbors supposed to respond to others? I mean, what does it actually look like to be a follower of Jesus, right? Maybe that was kind of the question you were asking. Then in week two, we talked about who is our actual neighbor. And you remember we, we talked about the fact that we have neighbors who live right next to us. And again, if you followed along on Wissa Hicken service, you heard Pastor Charlie talking about the fact that he has a neighbor who, who, whose grass he cuts or who cuts his grass. And he has another neighbor who shovels his snow or he shovels their snow. And, and he talked about the neighbors to your left and to your right. But then we also talked on Sunday morning about the fact that neighbor extends beyond just the people who are in proximity to us, and it comes to do with the people who we run into all the time, we have ongoing relationship with. I, I use the illustration of, of being a neighbor to the, the same young lady who worked at the grocery store all the way up until she retired because I got in her aisle every week when I went there, and we became neighbors. And then, and then we also talked about the fact that your neighbors extend 
to all those people that God desires for you to respond to who you then need to make a decision about whether or not to be neighborly, right? And so our neighbors are our, our physical, literal neighbors, people we're in relationship with and proximity to, and then all those people who God intended for us to be in proximity to who we, for one reason or another, have chosen not to. We left that with one important question as well, like, how do our enemies fit into the neighborly picture? How are we neighborly to those who it might not be as much fun to be neighborly toward? And I, and I, gave, I gave you the point, I said most of us probably don't have enemies to the extent that, that we understand it through Scripture, but we have people who we just like, we just don't enjoy being around, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe they bring our spirit down or or, uh, or, or maybe they're just, maybe, maybe they, they're harsh with their tongue, or, or, or maybe, maybe they're just, you know, they're not, they're not inclusive to you. They don't include you in, in things, and so you kind of just feel put off by them. How do we neighbor those who we don't get along with? And then last week, as Lori talked about, we, we, we talked about when is the right time. Is there ever a wrong time to do the right thing, right? Is there ever a bad time to do the right thing? And we, we, we illustrated the point that sometimes there's an inconvenient time. It doesn't serve our purposes as well as we might like it to. It's inconvenient, but, but it's never too late. And so we, we, we illustrated that point that it's never too late to do the right thing. So this morning as we wrap it up, I want to ask you this question. What is the, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? And specifically, this is, a, this is a, one of those sermons that we look internally, right? Like we're looking at our own lives. Where's the proof in my life that I'm actually neighborly, that I'm good at being a neighbor? Where's the evidence that as a follower of Christ that I am actually good at being a neighbor? We're gonna, we're gonna go through just a couple of points, and so get ready, the fire hose is about to open up. First one this morning, Jesus's message should move us to mercy. Jesus' message should move us to mercy. Let's, let's identify this really quickly. You and I have a responsibility. Say that word. That's right. We have a responsibility to respond to the word of God. In other words, God is, um, God, like if this was a kickball game, God is the pitcher. He's rolling the ball down from the mound, right? We have a responsibility now to go up and kick the ball. If we don't kick it, the ball goes past us, that's on us, right? We have a responsibility to do our part. And our part in responding to the message or the word of God, at least as we look at it through uh, the Luke chapter 10 passage, our first response should be mercy. Now look, I, I know we could go a lot of places and we could examine a lot of things. We could ask a lot of questions about like, is there, is there a responsibility beyond mercy? And we're going to get there, but... But what would our lives look like if our first response was mercy? Some of your Bible translations in, the, in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 10 say the word, it says that he had pity on them. Mercy, action, right? He went out of his way to do right for someone else. What if our first response to the word of God was to go and do Look, look with me in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 28. 
the, Samar- the, the, uh, the expert in the law has asked Jesus. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do? And then Jesus said, well, how do you interpret it? And then the expert in the law summed it up with love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, you're right. And then he says this in, in Luke 10, 28. Do this. Do this implied go and do this and you will live. The first step in responding to the word of God, to the story of Jesus, to the message that Jesus is giving us is that we should go and do. We'll go and do what? Look, look again at verse 37 in that same passage. Jesus, Jesus has just told the story of the good Samaritan and he ends it by saying, The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him was the one who did right. And Jesus said to him, well, then go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. Go and show mercy. If you're you're just trying to say, hey, how do I apply the last four weeks to my life? If you don't get anything else, get this. Set yourself up this week to be someone that people can count on to be merciful. In other words... When I approach you, when someone on the street approaches you, when your neighbor, your family member, your long-lost relative approaches you, be merciful. Do what's right. Be Christ in that moment. When you show up somewhere, whether you're walking into the place of worship or you're walking into your, your place of work or you're walking into the local grocery store, Be merciful. Do what's right. Be the witness of Christ in that space. You see, it's imperative that we as followers of Christ actually embody this. What comes after this are going to be verbal things, right? Like opportunities we're going to have to use our voice to, to proclaim, to declare, to speak truth. But let me be straight with you. If you're jagged on the outside, I'm not getting close enough to hear your voice. I'm, I'm, I'm running. I'm running away from you. And so if you're going to take points two, three, and four and say they have to do with being a, being a witness of Christ with your words, we first have to go and do likewise. We first have to actually be the presence of Christ so that then we can be the voice of Christ. So this week, as you explore how to be neighborly, let's come to Christ and say, hey God, help me to be merciful. Help me to be patient with people. Help me to be tender with people. Help me to be responsive to needs. Help me to express love outwardly before my voice speaks. Can we, can we just have a moment of honesty? I want you to move this moment of honesty into prayer. Is anybody willing to acknowledge with me that this is a hard spot for you? Anybody have a hard time with this? Go ahead. Look, I'm going to ask you. I, I never ask people to do this. I'm, gonna, if, if you, I'm standing up. I have a hard time with this. If you have a hard time with this too, go ahead and stand up with me. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray that God would just do something for all those people standing up. If you're not standing up, that's totally cool. Don't stand up because other people are standing up. You don't need to adopt our sin. Just pray for us. Pray for us. We're going to pray and confess this to the Lord right now. Father God, I pray right now for 
for myself and for everyone standing, maybe anybody who's standing right where they're at at home as well. God, we find strength and, and, and support from those who are sitting and saying, this is not something I wrestle with right now. And we know, God, that we have brothers and sisters around us who can, who can help remind us of ways in which uh, w- w- there are times when we're not merciful, there are times when we're jagged on the outside. But for those of us who are standing, we're confessing this, God. This is not a pride moment. This is a humbling moment. We're confessing this to you, God. We believe that it is only you who can move us through this narrative, Father. We can't work hard enough to get it out. We can't, we can't, we can't do enough to get, get away from it. We actually need you, God, to lead us through this space. Because, God, we believe, like you said to the expert in the law, that we're to go and do likewise. But our go and do likewise is, is, is sometimes corrupted by by how jagged it is or, or how short we are, or how impatient we are, or, or just other ways that our witness isn't as, as strong and as, as upright. So, Lord God, I ask that, I ask right now, Lord God, that you would just please, Father, receive the confession of our hearts, our voice, and our action in standing up. God, remove this area, cover it by the cross, and then deploy us as new creations. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends who are standing, I invite you to um, today find someone who wasn't standing and just ask them to, to help you. Ask them to, to help, help you be accountable, to, to be a voice or reminder. Ask them for a text once a week that just says, hey, how are you doing with this? Right? The reality is we are a part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ together bears witness. And so uh, you're not alone in this. But, but the call has not changed, even for those of us who are standing. The call has not changed. Our response should be, should move us to mercy. Our response to the message should move us to mercy. We know what our action step is. Jesus did not lay out a full game plan for this young man. He just simply said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Go and show mercy in every situation you're in. Now look, if you're going to stand and confess it, and if we're going to be honest, and if we weren't standing, and we're honest because that's not a struggle of ours, we need to know that we're going to be invited this week into times to show mercy, right? You're going to have opportunities this week to be the witness of Christ, and some of them are going to look exactly like you dreamt them up to look, and some of them are going to look nothing like you dreamt them up to look right? They're going to be the interruption in your day, right? Pastor Crawford, you told me about this last week, two weeks ago, uh, the interruption, right? And it's in those interruptions where we find the gospel ministry moments, right? It's, it's in the things that altered all of our plans. We say, okay, God, you must have had a different agenda for me today, and so I'm going to follow along with that. So I really want to encourage us. Step one, Luke chapter 10, verse, uh, verses 25 and following, the story of the Good Samaritan. Step one is that we would go and show mercy, Right? That we would go and our action would be mercy. Unfortunately, for some of us, that's where the story ends, right? We're, 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 we're gifted at, at being merciful with our hands and our feet and, and our time. And our struggle is right here. It's not, not with smiling, we're all good at smiling sometimes, right? But it, it's with actually proclaiming and teaching the truth. You might say to yourself, well, look, you know, like he, the, the, the expert of law was just told to go and do likewise, go and show mercy. And I say, yeah, that's right. That's step one. But if you've been here more than one week, you're ready for step two. 
right? If you've been following Jesus more than five minutes, you understand that we are on a great mission. I hope this doesn't step on your toes today when I say that God has already set the agenda for your life. On November 4th in 1994, I was adopted into the agenda that God set for my life. In case you were wondering, that's not when I was born, that's when I was reborn, right? So on November 27th, 1978, I was adopted into my own agenda for life. That's when I came out of the womb and into the world, right? On November 4th, 1994, when I confessed Jesus, I was adopted into God's agenda for my life. Here's no tricks. God's agenda for my life is the same as it is for yours and yours and yours and yours at home. Pastor Crawford, Miss Nancy, not to be confused with Mother Nancy, even you, Courtney, in the back. Jason, way back there. Great job on the drums today. Great job. Give it up for Jason on the drums today. But the drums were not the great agenda from God for Jason. The great agenda from God for all of us, all of us in this space, anybody who's going to watch this message, if you are a follower of Christ, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. As a follower of Christ, this is the great agenda that God has laid out for us. Very familiar passage. And Jesus is ending his ministry with the disciples. He's going to take them to the mountaintop. He's going to look out there as far as their eyes can see. You can imagine being the Henningers right now in one of the Hawaii islands that they're at, and, and they're standing there, and they're looking as far out as they can, and they see the beauty of all of God's creation. That's kind of what it was like with, with the disciples and Jesus in this moment. And, and this is what he says. Therefore, I'm in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What did he tell them to do? What did he tell them to do? Go and what? Go and make disciples. Now look, he told the young expert in the law to go. Go and do likewise. But now he's raised the bar. He's laid out the full agenda. Watch this. Young men, young women, older men, older women, moms and dads, grandparents in the room, you have one job in life that supersedes all other jobs in life. The mission that God has given us is to go and make disciples. When you take your final breath in this life, and you enter into the eternal standing, what you want to know are two things. One, God, you and I are right. Two, I used my time the way you asked me to. I spent my days making disciples, followers of Christ. Friends, this is not a group you belong to because the bar comes down. This is a group you join in because the bar is being raised up, right? This is a family of God that you join together willingly and willfully because you recognize 
that you need help on the journey making disciples. Your day in and day out responsibility is to help persuade somebody else to believe the good news of the gospel because we understand that the good news of the gospel is the only answer to anything and everything the world throws at us. It is the only answer for this life and for the life to come. There is no other way. If there was any other way, then we should all run after it because that means this way is not the way. The reason why this is so important is because there is no other option. David says in the Psalms, he says, I, I, I pursued everything. I climbed as high and I dove as deep. And everywhere I went, I couldn't get away from you. You were the only option. This is the only way. This is the great mission. We are adopted into this responsibility. So our mission, point number two, our mission is to make disciples, as plain and as clear as I can be. Now let me say this. Step one in making a disciple, be neighborly. As you're neighborly, be gracious. Be kind. Meet somebody. The people to your, le to your left and to your right. The people who are around you every day. The people you interact with on occasion. The people who you have to be interrupted to interact with. But understand this, it's not enough to just be kind. Some of you are like, well, I'm just going to win them over by being kind. And you never actually speak the good news. What's going to happen someday is you're going to die. And they're going to be at your funeral and say, that person was so kind. They're so sweet. So nice. They ain't going to know anything more about Jesus. They're just going to know you was a really nice person. And that's really cool. Like, everybody should say this about you, that you were a really nice person. But what should be followed up by that very quickly is, and you were quick to proclaim the good news of the gospel. You were quick to live on the mission and appointment that God put you in. Does that mean every one of us needs to be a preacher? No, please don't. I like my job. But yes, it does. Every one of us needs to be able to proclaim. That's all we're doing. We need to be able to share and testify about what God has done in my life. Look, if you're an introvert, that's cool. Don't stand and do it with the masses. Just identify the one this week, right? And if you need to write it instead of saying it, that's fine. By the way, Lady Laurie, when you got up to introduce and, and to do the transition, you said, you said to, to pray for Pastor Ray for the spoken word. And I was thinking to myself, I ain't got one of those. I ain't got one of those. No, no, no. So, so I, I got no rhythm for you. I got, I got no rhymes for you in this. This is just straightforward. What has God done for you in your life? Who have you told that God has done it? And how have you invited somebody else to come along on the journey? Right? What has God done for you? How has it altered your life? Do you have a testimony within you? Has God done something in your life that has brought you life and joy, that has renewed you, revived you, maybe that's even saved you? Who have you told about it? Literally. Literally, who have you told about it? And if you say to me, well, Pastor Ray, man, man I've, been, I've been talking to my sister and my aunt, and, and they're like, 
crazy, excited for Jesus people, that's cool. That's not the who I'm asking about, though. You know what I'm saying. Who's that person in your life who is distant from God? And you've been testifying in their life about the goodness of God. When Jesus took the disciples to the top of the mountain, he looked out there and he said, look. And he started to point to places. As he was pointing to the places where the disciples would eventually go with the good news of the gospel, the further he pointed, the more difficult the task. Yeah, yeah, look right there. Remember all those people? Yeah, they're my neighbors. They're great. <laughs> yeah, we're going to tell them about me. It's going to be great. Right over there, you see that? That town, like two towns away. Yeah, yeah. Gee, I don't really know them real bad, but they seem cool. All right, good. We're going to go there with the good gospel. Then he pointed out there, and he said, you see, see that? And the disciples, no, that's just water. Yeah, yeah. On the other side of the water, you can't see it, but way out there, there's a land yet to be discovered. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go there with the gospel. We're going to go there with the gospel. Friends, I want to be as plain and as clear as I can be with this. Part of being a neighbor means that we are evangelical in our spirit. We desire to win people with the good news. You always remember the movie, uh, I, I think I alluded to this a couple weeks ago, but you remember the movie Back to the Future? And there's one of them, I don't remember which one it is, where he actually goes into the future, and, uh, and, and he, that's where he rides on the hoverboard. Y'all remember that? That movie in the future takes place in 2021. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? So it's, we're here, we're there, we're in the future right now. So, but you remember in that movie, remember, remember um, uh, somebody, who, who knows this movie real well? I get the characters all messed up. Anybody? Who's never seen this movie? Wow. No, put your hand up again. I just want to know who you are. I want to come at your house and watch TV. It's going to be great. All right, anyway, in the movie, in the, in the movie there's, uh, there, there's, a, there's the bully. I don't remember his name, but he goes, he sneaks into the future too. And he steals the magazine. What is it? Biff, yeah. He steals the magazine. And he takes it back in time. The almanac, yeah, he steals it and takes it back in time. And it has all of the, like, all the sports, all, everybody who wins in the future. And he goes back in time, and he's trying to convince his younger self what bets to make. Why is he doing it? Come on, why, why would you do If you knew, if you knew the lotto numbers that we're going to win next week, what would you do this week? Why would you do it? Why would you do it? Because you know what's going to win. You are 100% sure that this is going to hit. Right? Friends, why aren't we sharing the good news of the gospel? We are 100% sure that this is the only answer. Being neighborly means that we are evangelical in our spirit. Don't get caught up on the word. We have a desire, a longing to share the good news. And if you're in a spot right now where you're like, Pastor, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm spending my days making disciples. I'm not sure that I'm living on this mission. 
I'm not sure that, uh, that point number two and I are aligned, then this is your confessional moment. This is your moment to go before God and say, hey, God, like, I know I'm for you, but there's something hindering me from going forward. There's something stopping me thus far from making disciples. And I want to see that change. And as you pray that prayer, invite people around you to be a part of that story. Invite somebody to text you with an accountability. Invite somebody to encourage you. If you don't have anybody else, ask me. I'll be happy to do it with you. Like, ask somebody to walk with you while you enter into the, the right spot that God has for you. God didn't make this an option for the disciples. He declared it. He commissioned them. He gave them all that they needed when he said, I will be with you forever. That was his word. They would not be going alone. All right, flipping your Bibles to John chapter 4. We've got, we got a quick passage I want to get into. This is a story, and I think this story illustrates how we can drive this entire series home. You'll remember the story as we turn there. We're in John chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in the fourth verse. Somebody amen when you're there? Come on, I heard, I heard a lot on the left and none on the right. Somebody else on the right? You know, you're on the left, huh? This side, I need, I need somebody in this side to turn their Bible, that's all. There it is, thank you, thank you. All right, here it is. Here we go, here, this is what it says. I'm in John chapter 4 in the fourth verse. Not this talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to, the son, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. You remember that story. And Jesus grew tired as he, was, as, as he was from his journey. He sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Then a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and all of his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become, will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. He told her, Go back, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, Well, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors used to worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will follow the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. And the disciple, uh, just then, the disciples returned. And they were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Now, before I read the rest, I want to stop here for a second to just give you, give you the rest of that context. This woman probably had some understanding of what we, what we know to be Christian religion, right? She had some understanding. She, she was waiting, awaiting. She knew the story of waiting for a Messiah to come. So she wasn't completely like, I've never heard of such a thing. What she did not know is that Jesus was the Messiah. And this encounter she has with Jesus is one in which Jesus kind of poses some, like, philosophical questions. Like, you know, you're thirsty. You're going to get thirsty again. What if I could give you water? It would never make you thirst again. And her response is like, yeah, like, I'm tired of going to the well. Like, you could make my life better? Please. And then Jesus takes that conversation one step further and begins to tell her about things that only Jesus could know about her. And at this point, she's struck. She's stricken. She is kind of in awe. Does she know everything about Jesus yet? Come on, does she know everything about Jesus yet? No, you know as much of the story as I do. Does she know everything about Jesus yet? No. Did Jesus break down the three principles of believing in him yet? No. Did Jesus say, like, you know, did you give her any other truth yet? No. All Jesus said is that, well, he, he said he is the Messiah. He declared that. He said, I am he. I am the Messiah, right? That's what he said. And he, 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 he kind of captured her in the story. And watch what happens. Remember what she wanted from Jesus when Jesus said, I, you know, I could give you water to never make it so you never thirst again. What did she want? She wanted that water, right? She was like, I want my life to get better. I don't want to have to keep coming to the well. Ironically, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the whole reason she was there, the, you know, like her whole goal in this moment was, I don't want to have to keep getting water. She leaves the water. The woman went back to the town, and she said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be? the Messiah. This was her way of being neighborly. She ran into town, and everybody she found, she said, come and see. There's this guy. He seems to know everything, and he might be the Messiah. 
Now, she had a voice that was well-known in town. And Jesus has already pointed that out when he talked about how many people she knew. She had a voice that was well-known in town, so she was running around grabbing anybody who would pay attention. And she was like, come and see. I found this thing that is great. I found this thing that seems to be really awesome. And imagine they asked asked her back a question like, well, tell me more about it. I don't know. He just seems like he knows everything. Just come and see. Just come and see. This was her declaration. Come and see. Can you imagine if one of you ran into ShopRite right now and we're just like, yo, everybody in ShopRite, leave your baskets. Come and see. Just come and see. Number one, number one, yeah, uh, uh, that probably would not be good for business in ShopRite. Please don't do it that way. But number two, number two, I mean, just imagine if we were so awestruck with God that we weren't, we, we, we didn't, it didn't matter how many truths we could declare in this moment. We were just like, God has just done so much. I want to invite everybody to come and see. I want to ask everybody to pay attention. I just want to say what I know. I wonder if people would do it. I wonder if people would come and see. Thirty, the people came out of the town, and they made their way toward Jesus. The people came out of the town, and they made their way toward Jesus. I mean, why? What was she saying that was so compelling? Nothing. She was just saying, come and see. Our third point this morning, our obedience to the mission of God will bear good fruit. Our obedience to the mission of God will bear good fruit. How do we know that? Because it's God's responsibility to produce the fruit. It's our responsibility to be obedient. And we know good fruit comes from good trees. We know this. God will produce the fruit. She ran into town as wayward as she was in life. And she just grabbed anybody who would pay attention and said, this is not about me. Don't Forget about who's telling you. Just listen to the message. This is worth going to check out. And people came. People did. Because our obedience to the go declaration of God will bear good fruit. Here's the rest of the story. 31. Uh, Yep, 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, "I I, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have already brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and ripe... uh, draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps. And this is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. There it was. The, the fruit was there. The evidence was there. She ran into town and said, would you pay attention to this? God moved because she was obedient to the mission. And what happened? Many believed in Jesus. Friends, does it break your heart? Let me be honest and ask you this question. Is your heart pricked? Is it broken by the thought of somebody not believing in Jesus? Because if it isn't, if it isn't, going on mission is not possible. It's not possible. The only way it's possible to go on mission is if we actually believe this is life and death. This is forever or not. If we actually awake in the morning with a heart that is heavy for those who slumbered that night not knowing Jesus. We encountered death in all kind of ways this past year. In numbers that were staggering. And the way in which death was encountered was tragic, but it fails in comparison to the tragedy of someone passing without knowing Christ. Jesus didn't take him out there because it was the pretty look and say, look how beautiful my creation is. Jesus took him out there and they looked at the beauty of creation and he sent them on a mission that mission was life and death. I want to wrap up with this last point this morning. And it's kind of the same thing that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. But this is the best way I believe that we could sum it up. Being neighborly should lead to new disciples. If you are a neighbor and you're living a neighborly life, someone else should come to know Jesus. Many of us have found contentment in being a neighbor by cutting the grass and mowing and, uh, and, and, and shoveling snow and, and walking young ladies across the street. And that is neighborly. And that's the extent of neighborly that the lost know. But for those of us who are sitting under this message, or for those of us, more appropriately, who are sitting under this message, being neighborly should lead to new disciples. The greatest gift that you can give someone is an invitation into eternal life is a proclamation, a declaration of the good news that's accompanied by an invitation. People have asked this past week, they said, hey, Pastor Ray, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Crawford, 
Pastor Rick, how was your time in Colorado? What did you learn while you were out there? And I, I would encourage you to ask any of the folks who were on that trip, what was that trip like? But if you want to know from me what it was like, there was a, there was, there was a, a rekindling of a fire deep in my belly. And that fire was, in part, how to love and, and teach well. But not just so that you would feel well-fed and cared for, but so that you could adopt that same burning in the belly. And that burning in the belly is a deep, deep desire to not see another person lost. A deep, deep desire to go into the ends of the earth and into the closest proximity of my neighborhood with the good news of the gospel. Friends, I want to say this plainly to you. If this last point is not happening, there's a disconnect in your life. If there aren't people coming to know Jesus because of you, there's a breakdown in your following of Christ. We need to own that right now. If there's not someone in your life who you're looking at and saying, I am praying that you would come to know Jesus and I'm asking God to use me in that way and I'm making myself available to do it, there's a disconnect. You say, well, hey, Pastor Ray, how do I write the ship? It starts right here. It starts right now. God, help me to be a neighbor. Help me to love my neighbor well. Help me to love them to life. To life. You don't have to declare everything. You don't have to know all the biblical laws. You don't have to know Genesis to Revelation, entire word memorized. Here's what you have to do. What has God done in my life? Who can I tell? God, send me now. What has God done in my life? Who can I tell? God, send me now. You met him at the well. You were thirsty. He said, I'll give you water. Make it so you never have to thirst again. You said, that sounds great. You ran into town. You said, hey, this guy, he's giving water. I'm never going to be thirsty again. He seems to know a lot about me. He's changed my life in some kind of way. Come check it out. Come check it out. What has God done in my life? Who can I tell? God, send me now. God, send me now. Father God, I pray for every one of us, Lord. I, I pray for a spirit of encouragement and truth over us, God. I pray, God, that you would just aliven us to being neighborly. Father, Father, we are, uh, we're petrified about the idea of saying, boldly saying, that Jesus is the only way. And maybe that is tied to, like, our fear of rejection, or maybe that is tied to, like, uh, like not, not, maybe thinking it's just not nice because somebody might not want that. Jesus, you went to the hill. You hung on the cross. Those who 
followed you and knew you best willingly laid down their lives following you declaring the truth so God help me to neighbor well and maybe in part God that'll make things in our community a bit better. Maybe in part, God, that'll help other folks to, to show up for, for church and, and be a part of a fellowship. But God, that's not why. God, our city needs the declaration of the good news. We're seeing people who are losing their lives at staggering rates. Gun violence and violence alike is the burden is too heavy, Father. The weight of Depression, anxiety, and emotional tolls from being out of relationships with others for 15 months is, is burdensome, Father. The, the sense of lostness and brokenness feels overwhelming. But all of those are just symptoms, God. None of those are the roots. They're symptoms. They're revealing to all of creation that there's a problem. And God, you've gifted us with the solution. You've given us the answer. You haven't withheld it. You haven't made us blind to it. You haven't hardened our hearts to it. We're sitting here today because you've made the answer known to us. And so for the last four weeks, we've been asking the question, what must I do? How can I? What does it look like to neighbor well? Who should I neighbor? And today we're just examining, is there evidence in my life that I'm neighboring well? And if not, God, can I confess that to you? so that you would put a light of fire in me to love my neighbor, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to declare boldly that you lived and you died and you resurrected and you invite us to do the same. To be able to say to someone, yeah, I know the world is falling apart, but my God is still in control. I can trust him. I know it just looks like uh, murky waters. I know it just looks like a rough sea, but my God has said that I could walk on that with him. He's called me to take a step in his direction. And God, I'm praying for somebody here today, maybe somebody at home today who's feeling like, man, I can't, I, I can't say something to somebody else. 
I can't say something at work, or I can't say something even to my family about who Jesus is because, because they're going to reject that. God, I love the story of the Samaritan woman. She didn't get turned off by somebody rejecting what she was doing. She just ran around inviting everybody who would listen. God, surely you are desiring to move on people's hearts and lives. Surely, God, you are desiring to make yourself known. Surely, God, you are desiring to invite people into the life that you paid the price for. And so then surely, God, we'll do our part. Surely, God, we will go out on mission. Surely, God, we'll step beyond our space. Surely, God, we'll make sure when we jump up in the morning that we've, we've settled our life with you, and then we go on mission. God, help us to be gracious that we might be winsome. Help us to be declarative of the good news that somebody might come to believe. Help, me to be, help us to be invitational that many might follow. But God, at the end of the day, reap the harvest. Call it to call, call the crops in, God. Say this is the time. Allow somebody else to say on, on, on July 25th of 2021, my life changed forever because somebody came home from some church and they invited me to come with them the next week. They invited me to know more. They invited me to sit with them. They invited me to pray with them. They told me they knew a God who could change life. They told me they knew a God who could change someone's reality. They told me they knew a God who could heal. They told me they knew a God who could save. They told me that God had done something in their life and I believed it. And my life was changed forever. And God, I don't know who you'll do that with. And I don't know who you'll do that for. But I pray that every one of us would run into town with whatever we know. I pray that every one of us would leave. If this is the well, let us leave the well and run everywhere you're going to send us. And say, come back and see what I've learned. Come back and meet who I know. Come back and hear the story of what God has done. God, thank you that that story says that you then stayed. You stayed present with them. And eventually, those who came to believe because of her testimony continued to believe because they came to know you. Oh, God, I pray that would be so true because that's when we'll be able to say, there's evidence in my life that I'm a neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus sent us out to act with mercy and make disciples in his name. And sometimes at the expense of inconvenience and even great personal cost. But this song is about making room in our lives to do what God commissioned us to do. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.